0: Welcome to Open Your Eyes, a podcast about empowering each of us with the perspective and tools to grow and change. I hope you're having a wonderful day. For me, the start to a great day is finding uplifting podcasts to help me with a better mindset each day. And I hope Open Your Eyes does that for you. There's just something empowering about getting your mind right before each day and week, so Today, wherever you are as you listen to this podcast, I hope you'll get a new perspective of how to think and live better. And if you enjoy this podcast, take a minute to share it with a friend. Just use the share button on your app and send it with a message like, I thought you might enjoy this podcast. It just might be what they need in their life today. Let's get started. Today, I'd like to talk about opportunities, the opportunities waiting for you in your life. Just south, across the Strait from Victoria, British Columbia, near the base of the Olympic Mountains in northern Washington, is the small town of Seacombe. The current population is 8,000, but decades ago, it was just a few hundred people. Surrounded by dense forests, it was a logging community, helped by its proximity to water. And it was also full of dairy farms due to the favorable climate. It was here that Joe lived with his father and stepmother. His mother had died from throat cancer when he was four years old. His father was unable to cope with his first wife's death and fled to Canada. Joe's home was torn apart. As a five-year-old, he went to live with his older brother, Fred, but not too long afterward, his father remarried and called for Joe. So Joe returned to live with his father. One night, Joe awoke to the smell of smoke. He grabbed the baby, and his younger brother, and stumbled out of the house to safety. His father and stepmother also escaped the flames, but the house burned to the ground, and there was nothing they could do. It seemed that once again, Joe's life was turned upside down, and his home was lost. So the family moved to the mining camp where his father worked. There, Joe's stepmother became depressed because of their dire circumstances, and the target of her poor state of mind was Joe. One day when Joe was still a boy, Thula, his stepmom, insisted that Joe leave. So his father took him up the wagon road to live in the schoolhouse. While extremely difficult for a young boy to be separate from his family, Joe seized the opportunity chopping wood and doing other chores in exchange for sleeping in the school. While living in exile, so to speak, Joe's stepmother wouldn't feed him. So he'd trek to the mining camp to get food and did every odd job there he could he started a life of providing for himself. Soon, with his father's help, Joe built a small shack where he could sleep. When Joe was 15, his father took the family to live in Seattle, and Joe's stepmother again refused to let him back into her house. So Joe's father had to tell Joe they were leaving without him. But can I just come along, Joe asked. No, that won't work, his dad said. Look, son, if there's one thing I've figured out in life, It's that if you want to be happy, you have to learn how to be happy on your own. Well, Joe's best friends had been his father and his younger brother, and now they were gone. At 15 years of age, his life was turned upside down again, and he was on his own and was lonely all the time. Well, living in his half-finished house, Joe made a decision. He would do exactly what his father said. He wouldn't lie in bed and be a hermit. He would look for the opportunity in everything. His father had always taught him that there was a solution to every problem. He said that sometimes the solution wasn't where people would ordinarily expect it to be. You might have to look in unexpected places and think in new and creative ways. But he could survive on his own, he figured, if he could just keep his eyes open for opportunities. So in the middle of the Great Depression, Joe started to make friends. Together, they caught and sold salmon. They made homemade booze and sold it, something that wasn't legal during Prohibition. He and his friends cut and sold lumber. A year later, Joe received a letter from his older brother, Fred, who had a good teaching job living in Seattle. Fred wanted Joe to join him for his last years of high school. Joe, again, saw this as an opportunity, so he moved. And here's how Daniel James Brown wrote of Joe's experience in high school. For the first time, and as long as Joe could remember, he found himself with three square meals a day and the opportunity to explore his interests. He excelled in the classroom and quickly worked his way onto the dean's honor roll. He sang and performed in plays and made music. He signed up for the men's gymnastics team and proved to be a standout on the rings, the high bar, and the parallel bars. One spring day in 1932, as he was practicing on the high bar in the gym, He noticed a tall man in a dark gray suit and a fedora standing in the doorway and watching him. The man disappeared, but a few minutes later, Fred walked into the gym and called Joe over to the door. A fellow just came into my classroom and asked who you were, Fred said. Said he was from the university. He gave me this. Said you should look him up when you get to the U. That he might be able to use a fellow like you. Fred handed Joe a card and Joe glanced down at it. It said... Alvin M. Ulbrikson, head coach, crew, University of Washington Athletic Department. Joe pondered the card for a moment, then walked to his locker and put the card in his wallet. It couldn't hurt to give it a try, and Joe was used to seizing opportunities. And rowing couldn't be any harder than cutting cottonwoods. So he saved enough money working odd jobs to pay for his first year of college, and off he went. The tryout for the rowing team was another opportunity, and Joe took it. While the other boys at school wore expensive slacks and cardigan sweaters, every day Joe wore the same old wrinkled hand-me-down sweater and the same dusty old shoes. Joe Rance was afraid his savings would soon run out and he needed a job to pay for clothes and for the final year of school. And if he made the rowing team, he would be guaranteed a part-time job on campus. That job might just bring in enough money to get Joe through four years of school so he knew he had to make the team. The audition for a spot on the nine-man rowing team was long and grueling. It was a crew season. Every day after school, the young men were subject to brutal workouts testing their physical and mental strength. Each evening, Joe noticed that more and more boys gave up. And he noted something else. The first boys to drop out were the ones with the fancy clothes and the polished shoes. Well, after engineering classes each day, Joe hurried to crew practice, then on to his job in the student athletics store. He worked there until midnight, then off to the YMCA, where in exchange for working as a janitor, he was given a tiny dark room in the basement. It was just big enough for a desk and a bed. Well, Joe would make the rowing team. And if any of you have read the book, Boys in the Boat, or seen the recently released movie of the same name, you know the rest of the story. Seizing the opportunity to be part of something bigger than himself Joe made the rowing team and went to qualify for the Olympic Games in Germany. There, Adolf Hitler was hosting the games to prove to the world that Germany was a civilized and modern state. Again, Joe had an opportunity. As Brown puts it, for the first time, Joe realized that he and the boys would not just be rowing for gold. They'd be rowing for a way of life, a shared set of values. Liberty was perhaps the most important of those values. But to the boys from Washington, America also stood for trust in one another, for mutual respect, for humility, and fair play. These ideals were part of what had drawn them together as a team, and they were about to show the world the power of those ideals when they took to the water in Germany. The game started with 14 8 or crews, and they would row twice to qualify for the final race where the winner would win the Olympic gold. In their first race, Joe's team started badly but would recover and won, setting a new Olympic world record. On the day of the gold medal race, Joe and his teammates were prepared. The Germans wore white shorts and white jerseys, each emblazoned with a black eagle and swastika on the front. The American boys were wearing mismatched track shorts and tattered old sweatshirts. At the start of the race, the Americans didn't hear the starting signal. As a result, they started last. At the halfway mark, they were second to last. But at the finish, the Americans were six-tenths of a second faster than the Germans and won the gold medal. Now, in his life, Joe had everything going against him. His mother died. His house burned down. His stepmother kicked him out of the house. His father and family left him at 15. He was homeless, poor, and hungry. But with each tragedy or loss, he found the opportunity. Opportunity to feed himself, start his own small businesses to earn money, go to school, get good grades, attend college, make a rowing team, and make history. The book, written by Daniel James Brown, would become popular amongst readers around the world. And last year, the movie, under the same title, was released, and George Clooney both produced and directed the film. The initial box office sales topped $40 million. Here's the thing. Imagine if Joe did not seize the opportunities before him. He would have never gone to college or the Olympic Games, but one opportunity led to the next and to the next and to the next. It was just as his father said, looking for the opportunity in everything that happens to you. Now, many of us travel through our day-to-day life and circumstances and let opportunities slip by. Most of the time, opportunities don't jump up and slap us across the face to get our attention. Rather, they quietly present themselves and wait for you and me to take hold. But often those opportunities quietly go away without our using them or seizing them to enhance our life. But it's up to us to take the chance, give some effort, even if it seems like a small thing, to seize the opportunity before us. Right now in your life, I'm pretty sure there's an opportunity in front of you, something that is calling to you. Perhaps it is to reach out to a certain person, take your business more seriously, attack that habit, be a better friend to your children, take time to help someone, and yes, even life changing opportunities may be waiting. You know, Cecilia grew up in a small village in Mexico, but there were few opportunities. So she moved to Los Angeles, and there the opportunity to work as a cleaning maid presented itself, and she did. She eventually got married and had a child. Rafael Rojas was working a business at the time and met Cecilia and asked her to join him in that business. Well, Cecilia told her then husband, now ex-husband, that she wanted to start a business. She could sense the opportunity. He told her, you were not born to be a business person. You were born to make tortillas and milk cows. But Cecilia knew inside this wasn't right. She saw herself as a business person. Not long after this, while Cecilia was working her 3 p.m. to 1 a.m. shift cleaning, her husband left her and took her son and all their belongings. She was left with nothing. Well, the business she tried to start didn't have success for a host of reasons, but Cecilia learned an important lesson, the power of opportunity. And a few years later, while at church, Cecilia met William, and William worked construction. He was a man of faith, and they would get married and have a child. Cecilia's new marriage and new life allowed her to open her eyes and look for opportunities all around her. And when she thought about the talent inside her, she thought of starting a business again. And she wanted to find Raphael, who had helped her get started, but she had lost his phone number. So she prayed. She prayed that she could find Raphael. Not long afterwards, she was looking for some receipts on a high shelf and some papers fell to the floor. One paper flew apart from the others and landed in an adjacent room. When she picked it up, she saw it had Raphael's name and number on it. So she called him. Raphael had recently started a new, different business. This time, the business concept was exceptional. So over the phone, she teamed up and got started. And she asked Raphael, what do I need to do? And he told her, start finding new customers. So she said to herself, this is an opportunity God gave to me, so I won't wait an hour or a day. And she immediately got started. Her English was terrible. Even her Spanish was limited because she had only an elementary education, but she had two things. She had a view of herself as a business person and a take advantage of your opportunities mindset. She was also going to show her husband that she was a business person. And a few months later, what she didn't know was that her husband was taking extra shifts working construction, volunteering for any amount of hours he could get so he could show her he could earn more than her. And at the end of the month, his check, paycheck for the month was $2,700. He came home bragging about it. What about your business check? He said to Cecilia. That very day, her monthly check had arrived. The amount, $6,848. William said he was wearing his tool belt. He took it off and said, show me how to do this. And they've been working together in that business ever since. Together, they've earned $3.7 million. And their life is totally different. Here's my point. Nothing would have changed in Cecilia's life without her seeing the opportunity looking for Raphael's phone number, praying, calling him, and working like it was an opportunity. So what about you? Do you see opportunities in your life? Are you in the habit of pursuing them? Or do you just assume that ordinary people don't have opportunities come their way that often? It's like the late Jimmy Valvano said, God must have loved ordinary people because he made so many of us. But every day, in every walk of life, ordinary people do extraordinary things. And here's the truth. Ordinary people like you and me can do extraordinary things. And you have within you and in your life, the opportunity to make something remarkable of your time, your situation, your life. How do I know this? Because your maker put within you his DNA. And with that, you can do what seems unlikely, You can change a habit. You can build a business. You can manage your time. You can make your days better. You can lose that weight. You just can't seem to lose. You can become a parent or spouse or friend that you've wanted to become. And it doesn't matter where you've been or how you look or what you've done, or even if you've fallen, if you've let yourself down or let other people down. If you will begin to see and seize the opportunities in your life, even uncover the hidden opportunities, You, like Joe and Cecilia, will find extraordinary results. You know, in his book on success, Malcolm Gladwell says, success is the product of opportunity. And while a person's individual attributes, like talent and work ethic, may determine their potential, Gladwell asserts that external factors determine who has the opportunity to reach that potential and who faces roadblocks. In other words, it's impossible to achieve success if you don't have opportunity. In fact, he describes opportunity as having a snowball effect. In other words, one opportunity seized or advantage realized over time compounds to create exponentially greater opportunities. This is called accumulative advantage or the Matthew effect. The Matthew effect comes from the scripture recorded in the book of Matthew that says, For to everyone who has will more be given, and he will have abundance. But from him who has not, even what he has will be taken away. It means that to those who have an advantage and to those who have previously seized opportunities comes disproportionately more opportunities than those who don't. For example, consider how one opportunity changes the trajectories of two young girls who want to be professional actors. The first girl sees there are tryouts for the school play. She practices, she gets engaged, she works with others who have done it before and gets the lead role in the play. And this sets off a series of events. As the show's star, she gets more coaching from the director than the other actors. This helps her develop her skills and confidence. Additionally, as the lead, she has to play a broader range of emotions and this gives her a chance to show her talent on display. The role puts her in a better position to get the lead in other plays. Her roles make her more visible to college recruits, raising her chances of getting an acting scholarship. Her college experience increases her odds of successfully pursuing an acting career. Compare that to the second girl who's afraid of being rejected and doesn't really seize the opportunity or put much effort. And she tries out for the play, but just gets a minor role. As a result, she really doesn't try that hard and her opportunities diminish. This happens in my life and your life all the time. The snowball effect of pursuing opportunities is real. Well, the problem is that we hear stories all the time of people who saw an opportunity, pursued it, and the outcome was amazing. But for many of us, we don't think this can happen to us. So we don't really try, and not trying takes the real opportunity away. In pro basketball, The oldest coach is 74-year-old Greg Popovich. Can you believe it? 74 years old and still on the road coaching and taking on the grueling schedule of the NBA season. Popovich attended the Air Force Academy and played basketball there. During his five years of military service, which followed, he played basketball on the Armed Forces team. When he got home, he saw the opportunity and served as an assistant at the academy while he got his master's degree. Then... With his assistant experience, he got the opportunity to coach the Pomona Sagehens, a small college in California. He saw it as an opportunity if he won. So he led the team to its first title in 68 years. But coaching a small college wasn't his dream. He looked at Larry Brown, who was coaching the University of Kansas, and he saw an opportunity. But Brown had no openings on his staff, so Popovich took the next season at Pomona off and became a volunteer, non-paid assistant at Kansas. Then, the following year, he returned to Pomona. But the year under Brown had made an impression, so the next year, when Larry Brown took a head coaching job in the NBA, coaching the San Antonio Spurs, he hired Popovich as his top assistant. Soon, Popovich was the general manager for the Spurs, and then the head coach. That was 26 years ago. All because Popovich seized the opportunity to coach for Larry Brown for one year as a volunteer assistant coach. Today, he is a five-time NBA champion and a three-time NBA coach of the year. Now, the youngest coach in the NBA is the head coach of the Utah Jazz, Will Hardy. Hardy became the head coach at 34 years of age. (laughs) That's right, 34 years of age. One of his players for a short time was 36 years old. Will grew up in Richmond, Virginia. He went on after high school to play at Williams College, a small Division III school. In fact, the school was so small that today there are no statistics kept of Hardy's years playing. But it was an opportunity to play basketball, and he took it. He seized the opportunity to excel and get a strong academic degree. Well, before graduating from Williams, Hardy was applying for all sorts of jobs. Kurt Tong, a former Williams coach, was a mentor and friend to some of the players, particularly Will Hardy. Hardy saw it as an opportunity to learn from Tong and they became very close. Years earlier, Tong, believe it or not, had been the athletic director at Pomona College where Greg Popovich had coached. Tong and Popovich remained close. So one day Tong called some of the players and Will Hardy and said, I talked to coach Pop last night. He wants one of you guys to take a job in the film room or to be a gopher or whatever. Well, there were several players interested. Tong called Popovich back and asked what qualities he was looking for. Pop wanted a role player that was all about the team first, that had a great work ethic, that no task was beneath him. Will Hardy was that kind of guy. Do anything for an opportunity. So he became a gopher, an intern for the San Antonio Spurs. But Hardy was 6'6 and could play. So he was often asked onto the court in practice to shadow players, or shag basketballs. Two years later, the video coordinator left. Seeing the opportunity, Hardy asked for the job. Why? Well, when you leave the video room, you spend a lot of time with the head coach, Greg Popovich. And Hardy did. There, he got a crash course in professional coaching mentality. Hardy was focused. He rarely went out with friends. He wanted to seize the opportunity. When Popovich was named the Olympic coach, Hardy was chosen as his video guy, and Hardy impressed Popovich so much that a few years later, he was named an assistant coach. By that time, Hardy had done just about every job for the San Antonio Spurs. Then he was asked to become an assistant with the Boston Celtics, and it was there that general manager Danny Ainge got to know him and brought him to Utah as the head coach a few years later. Now, many coaches in the NBA played in the NBA. They include Jacques Vaughn, Monty Williams, Rick Carlisle, Chauncey Billups, and Steve Kerr, just to name a few. And that makes sense, that former players would make excellent coaches. But few coaches made their way as the video coordinator after earning their college degree. But Will Hardy seized every opportunity that presented itself along the way so he could become a head coach in the NBA. And that's the way it is with opportunities. People who are good at seizing them like Greg Popovich, pass that characteristic on to video coordinators like Will Hardy. And parents who are opportunity seizers pass this characteristic on to their children. Leaders pass it on to team members and on it goes. So if you're leading a team and you want to elevate the performance of your team, become a person who sees opportunity and acts quickly to seize those opportunities. The reason that some people miss opportunities is, well, they're slothful. Sloths, the sluggish tree dwellers of Central and South America, spend their lives in the tropical rainforest. And they move only when necessary, and even then, very slowly. Some sloths are reported to remain hanging to branches even after they die. They move through the canopy at a rate of less than 40 yards per day, munching on leaves, twigs, and buds. Sloths have an exceptionally low metabolic rate and spend 15 to 20 hours a day sleeping. And this describes some of us when opportunities are all around us. We worry and stop. We fear and slow down. We wonder about the work of it and really don't try. I mean, you get it. There are a hundred excuses as to why not seize an opportunity. And you know, sometimes we have to seek out the opportunity. It isn't apparent. As George Bernard Shaw said, don't wait for the opportunity, create it. Just like the people in the stories we've shared today, finding the opportunity is a matter of believing that it's there. Or as one person said, if opportunity doesn't knock, build a door. Now, this is an incredibly important principle for leaders to learn. That opportunity must be created and pursued. And often those opportunities present themselves in the twists and turns of life. So even in the midst of change or discouragement or setbacks, look for the opportunity around the corner. In the business world, businesses that thrive develop the fundamental skill of spotting and capitalizing on opportunities that others don't see. Recently, Forbes Magazine got some of the top business minds of our day together to talk about this topic. One leader said, Opportunities present themselves most often in times of change or transformation. Another said, have a clear goal, even an impossible goal. And this will cause you to start thinking, reading, networking, and doing the things that get you familiar with how to reach that goal. That's when you can spot opportunity. Another said, there's no doubt that almost all opportunity came about because someone networked with someone else. Or ask questions or develop a relationship and learn from other people. Another CEO said that you have to put yourself out there. Attend conferences, events, expand your geographic relationship footprint and wiggle your way into what's happening around you. Another said that many opportunities don't pan out. So don't get discouraged. Almost every failed opportunity leads to the next right opportunity. Along the way, Use these failures to get more and more clear about what you're looking for. Failure helps you get clear. And on the advice of these CEOs went. Here's the point. Opportunities in life are what you make of them. My second daughter, Mary, as a young girl, found joy in dance. She was with her friends and she was pretty good at it. So she did something other girls around her didn't do. She started to dance every day. She worked incredibly hard. When other girls were playing soccer or hanging out, Mary was dancing. And as she got older, all the best dancers in our city wanted to try out for and be chosen as a part of a particular elite dance team. So in high school, she and a few of her friends tried out for the new team, which was in a different studio. The result, her friends made the team. Mary did not. I thought for sure she'd lose her confidence that it would impact her and how she saw herself the dance team leader offered Mary a position on the junior team in that different studio. It was a definite step down from her current studio and none of her friends were on the junior team. And surely her friends on the elite team would look down on her in comparison. But Mary saw the opportunity to be in the same studio. So if she could prove herself on the junior team, even though there were very few girls her age on that team, she could eventually make the senior team. Mary didn't compare herself to others. She danced on the junior team and worked on her technique and strength. You see, she could have quit because she was discouraged or embarrassed. But she saw an opportunity where most girls saw failure. She didn't compare herself. She got humble. She worked twice as hard as everyone else and eventually earned her spot on the elite team. It took a few years of humbling work, But she made that team. And because she had momentum, because she was used to working harder, because she had failed and knew what it took to really win, she was soon the premier dancer on the elite team ahead of other girls who made the elite team to begin with. Later, when Mary and the same friends tried out for an elite college team and then a professional dance company, Mary was the only one to make both. Today, she works as a dance instructor and choreographer. There is opportunity in your life in your setbacks and your failures remember Joe Rance his path of opportunities led him to the gold medal and Cecilia who had to make opportunities happen and Greg Popovich and Will Hardy opportunity creating is contagious to your family and your team they will follow your example find ways this week to open your eyes to the opportunities in front of you most of all thanks for being here today. And don't forget to share this podcast with a friend and join us next week for another podcast as we learn to open our eyes to who and what we can become.